Are you eagerly awaiting his return? Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is the second of two parts dealing with the issue of end-time events and what our attitude should be toward the current situation. You know, in view of the conflict in the Middle East, many people are asking the question, is this the end of the world, or what does all this mean in terms of biblical prophecy? Our hearts break with the bloodshed and hatred shown. You know, in countries not only in the Middle East, but also around the world, there is ongoing conflict, hatred, fear, and bloodshed. We mentioned last time that when it comes to the biblical study of end-time events that's called eschatology, there's a wide spectrum of viewpoints. By way of review, these tend to revolve around three major views. Number one, some people would say that Scripture teaches a literal rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, where believers are caught up to heaven like Enoch and Elijah. This will be followed by seven years of extreme difficulty where the whole world, and particularly the nation of Israel, is severely oppressed. After that, the Lord Jesus returns to sit on a literal throne in Jerusalem, ruling over his kingdom for 1,000 years, followed by a new heavens and a new earth. The second viewpoint, in general, says that the 1,000-year reign of Christ, which is talked about in Revelation chapter 20, the millennium, is happening right now in heaven in a spiritual sense. They would say that the kingdom of God is slowly developing right here on earth in an already-not-yet fashion. At some point in the future, Christ will return to set up his eternal kingdom. The third viewpoint is that Some would say that almost all of biblical prophecy was fulfilled by A.D. 70 at the destruction of the temple and of Jerusalem by the Romans. They would say that through the church, Christ is working even today to not only redeem people, but also to make the world a better place. Things will get better and better gradually over time. The millennium is thus a gradually developing time, not limited to a literal 1,000 years. At the end of that time, That could be 2,000 years from now, 5,000 years, maybe even 10,000 years, Christ will return to establish his eternal kingdom. You know, these can be causes for believers to separate or churches to divide based on their eschatological views, but that should not be the case. No matter which of the three major views of end times one holds, everyone in Orthodox evangelicalism would say that Christ will return to earth someday, and that his return could occur at any time. The term for that is imminency, imminency. But what does that term really mean? Is Christ coming imminent? Well, according to GodQuestions.org, if you look up the word imminence or imminency, it says, quote, the word imminent means likely to happen at any moment, impending. When we speak of the imminence of Christ's return, we mean that he could come back at any moment. There is nothing more in biblical prophecy that needs to happen before Jesus comes again. The imminence of Christ's return is generally taught among evangelicals. Jesus spoke of his return repeatedly during his ministry, which naturally prompted questions from his disciples. One of their questions was, when will these things happen? Mark 13, verse 4. Jesus responded, of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's important to remember that any discussion of eschatology uh, 
that God does not intend for us to fully understand the timing of his plans. However, this is still from gotquestions.org under imminency. The Bible says that Jesus' return is near, and we are to wait eagerly for it. James encourages us to be patient and stand, and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Jesus taught his disciples to watch for his return. You also must be ready, he says in Luke twelve forty, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The command to be ready implies imminence. Throughout the New Testament, the church is told to be ready. If the disciples in the early church were to expect the coming of the Lord at any time, how much more should we be waiting in keen expectation? End quote. That was all from gotquestions.org. Well, as I said, there is a wide range of viewpoints in the field of eschatology. Uh, No matter what viewpoint you take, I want to suggest seven major takeaways that I hope we can all agree on. These are based on two underlying principles. The two principles are the following. Number one, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Things are not falling apart. They are falling into place. You know, I was reading in Daniel chapter 4, verses 34 and 35 the other day, talking about King Nebuchadnezzar. It, it says in verse 34 of Daniel 4, But at the end of that period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And listen to this. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are of no account, but he does according to his will among the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. No one can fend off his hand or say to him, what have you done? As Richard Spann has, that's end quote, as Richard Spann has reminded us, God's names of El Roy, the God who sees, El Elyon, God most high who is in control of each aspect of my life, and El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one, gives us reassurance or assurance that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-loving. There is nothing that happens out of his purview and his ability to control. You know, in that we can take comfort and hope. So that's the first principle, is that God is sovereign. The second principle that we, I think, can agree on is the Bible's promises are true. The Bible's promises are true. In Romans 3, verse 4, according to the New American Standard Bible, it says, May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. We can trust God's word. It is not the end of civilization. Jerusalem will survive. The Bible promises that Christ will reign from Jerusalem on David's throne at some day in the future. God says what he means and means what he says. There's an interesting passage in Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. It says, On that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and the one who is feeble among them on that day will be like David, and the house of David will be like God, like the angel of the Lord before them. On that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. End quote. Also, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. You know, there is also a very large body of Old Testament scriptures which teach that the Messiah will someday sit on David's throne. 
So those are the two bedrock principles. Number one, God is sovereign. He is in control. Things are not falling apart. They're falling into place. Number two, we can trust the Bible's promises because they are true. So in light of those two truths that we can agree on, uh, I want to suggest seven things that I think come out of that as it relates to biblical prophecy and the current situation. Number one, we are commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122, verse 6, New King James Version says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And Psalm 137, verse 6, If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. So that's something we can do specifically and effectively. We can pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Number two principle, we are to be alert. We are to prepare ourselves. We need to be ready ourselves. These events can cause us to consider the times in which we live. What is God calling us to do with regard to a closer walk with him? We are to be wise and be ready like those ten virgins. Have you placed your faith alone in Christ alone? Have you prepared yourself in that way? Have you believed in him alone for eternal life, not depending on your own goodness or good works? You know, Matthew 25, verse 13 says, Be on the alert then, because you do not know the day nor the hour. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 12 and 13 say, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. We are to believe in him alone for eternal life, and then we are to trust in him to transform us more and more into his likeness, Uh, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number three, we are to help others be ready. Help others be ready. The events in the Middle East, whether or not they have specific prophetic significance, which I think they do, but they can be a catalyst for conversation and help us help others consider their own lives and what God has for them at this time. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 19 says, For what is our hope? our joy, our crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? This implies that when Jesus returns, he will ask us, how have we invested our lives? Have we invested it in other people? Current events like what's going on in the Middle East can allow us to uh, have conversations about the Lord Jesus and the uh, nearness of his coming. Number four, be wise and discerning. Be wise and discerning. You know, we're not to be a date setter, are we? And we're not to listen to those who do that. Mark 13, verse 32 says, But of that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So there's two ways we can get off the track here. We can um, we don't want to be a date setter, but we also don't want to ignore the signs of the times. We're not to expect, not to speculate on the exact day nor hour of his return, although we are to read the signs of the times. Matthew 16, verses 1 through 3 says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, testing him, asking, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! 
You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. We are to discern the signs of the times while not setting dates. Number five, we are to be loving to our fellow believers with whom we might disagree. You know, people feel very strongly about these various end-time viewpoints, and I, I get that. I understand that. But remember, they are fellow believers. If you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation, then you are a believer. You've been regenerated. A specific eschatological viewpoint is not required to be a true believer. The test of whether someone has the gift of eternal life is not doctrine, but whether they have placed their faith alone in Christ alone. Now, doctrine is important, and I'm the first to admit that. But the key is, have they placed their faith in Christ alone? So I would just urge us to be charitable to others with whom we may have a different understanding with regard to end-time events. Number six, we are to have a balance in our focus a balance in our focus. You know, sometimes it's easy to get carried away into one area of study, isn't it? Some people really get carried away with end times prophecies and studying, particularly when things like this are happening in the Middle East. I tend to be that way for sure. But while we should not ignore prophecy, we also should not ignore the other areas of Scripture that that Christ has given us. We should study salvation, sanctification, one another versus how to love each other, how to help others, and so on. We tend to either ignore prophecy altogether because we think it's you know too complicated or unsettled, and even quote the experts end quote don't understand it. So it's easy to just ignore it completely, and that's not right. Uh, over one fourth of Scripture, almost a third of Scripture, is prof- was prophetic when it was written. So we don't want to ignore it, but. Also, we don't want to over um, overly focus on it to take us away from other things. There's a balance there. And number seven, we should eagerly await Christ's return. Our attitude should not be one of dread, but one of eagerly awaiting him. We are to keep looking up. Here are some verses that remind us of that. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty two, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come, and that's that Aramaic term, Maranatha. Many scholars believe this is how the church greeted each other as they came together to worship. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven. Are we waiting for his Son from heaven? Are we eagerly waiting for that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 18, Therefore comfort one another with these words. The context is Christ's return. We are to be comforted and think about those things. And Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope. The blessed hope is Christ's return and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we're entering football season as I um, record this, and there have been many football games, basketball games, soccer games, where everyone is really glued to the clock. The teams make their 
decisions, their plays with full understanding of the time, how much time is left in the game. They don't have an infinite amount of time. They have a limited amount of time. We also have a limited amount of time to do what needs to be done. In the same way, we need to be looking at the clock. We need to be looking at the signs of the times. Now, the difference between us and somebody at a football game is that we don't know the specific day nor the hour. But we are told to look at the seasons and the signs of the times and to be ready to prepare ourselves. Luke 21, verses 28 through 33 says, But when these things begin to take place, straighten up, lift up your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable, Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put forth leaves, you see for yourselves and know that summer is now near. So you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I'm going to close with this uh, little bit longer quote from gotquestions.org, talking about the word Maranatha. I thought it was a very helpful way to summarize what we're talking about today. This is a quote then from gotquestions.org, quote, Maranatha is an Aramaic word that means the Lord is coming, or come, O Lord. The early church faced much persecution, and life for a Christian under Roman rule was not easy. Living under those adverse conditions, the believer's morale was lifted by the hope of the coming of the Lord. Maranatha became the common greeting of the oppressed believers, replacing the Jewish greeting Shalom. The followers of Jesus knew there would be no peace because Jesus had told them so, Matthew 10.34 and Luke 12.51. But they also knew the Lord would be returning to set up his kingdom, and from that truth they grew great comfort. They were constantly reminding and being reminded that the Lord is coming. Continuing in the quote from God Questions, Today, believers in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ live our lives in the light of the knowledge that He can come at any time. We are to be ready when the call comes. Every day we should expect Him to come, and every day we should long for Him to come. Maranatha reminds us to keep our eyes on the eternal things of the Spirit. To dwell on material things is to be in constant mental turmoil. Looking down, we see the earth. Looking around, we see earthly things. But, but, looking up, we see the hope of the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. To those who are discouraged today, Maranatha. To those who are worried today, Maranatha. To those who are filled with anxiety over the problems they are facing, Maranatha. Our Lord is coming. In conclusion, let us each be good students of God's Word, discerning His truth as revealed in His Holy Scripture. Let us trust in Him and His sovereign control of our world, and let us prepare ourselves to be ready and help others to do the same. Let us eagerly await His coming. As with the early church, let this be on our minds and our lips. Maranatha, even so, Come, Lord Jesus, come. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.